We find ourselves in the book of Psalms this morning, and in particular the 32nd Psalm. If you'd make your way to Psalm 32, we are going to read two verses, two verses, and uh, we're going to take our text from one of these verses, Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. Notice with me this morning in Psalm 32, verse 8 and verse 9. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Verse 9 will be our text. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. I must confess that oftentimes I am dumb as a horse and stubborn as a mule. And that's our topic this morning, and that's what we want to think on. Dumb as a horse and stubborn as a mule. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we can be in your house today. We rejoice in you. And Lord, the very words of our, our text verse and even the title of the message and the topic before us is convicting. And I trust that we as your people would understand what David, by the leadership and inspiration of the Holy Spirit is penning and writing to us that we might that we might get right and proper understanding by you through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to evaluate our lives and to be honest with ourselves and to understand that sometimes we are as dumb as a horse and stubborn as a mule. Lord, help us. And Lord, in it, may you receive honor and glory for yourself and Lord, we just ask that you'd meet with us today and help us. We confess our sins and iniquities to you and look for forgiveness and cleansing through the righteousness of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalms 32 is one of 13 psalms that's given the special name of a maskil. If you look at the title of your psalm, it says a psalm of David, maskil. Now, from this word, Moscow, is from the Hebrew word that is interpreted by some scholars as instruction. Others have, have interpreted the word as contemplation or meditation. It, this psalm, and Moscow's in particular, provide instruction in many key areas of a believer's life. They're designed to help us and give us instruction on our life experience here. And these masculines are always framed in a context of spiritual encouragement and guidance. And that's what we see in Psalm 32. We, don't, we didn't take the time to read verses 1 through 7, but if you go back and read those, you'll notice that David is focusing on great encouragement for the child of God because our sins are forgiven. They've been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now certainly in this psalm, and in particular in our text, we receive much instruction from David. In fact, I will refer to what we read in verse number 9 as David's instructive exhortation. That's what it is, and that's what he's doing. The Holy Spirit used David and David's life experiences 
to teach us the vital importance of having our sins forgiven and having a right and close relationship and walk with the Lord. Do we not learn that from David's life? Think about when David got away from the Lord and the sins that he committed in relation to David or relation to Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Other things that we could go through that David uh, did in his life that were unwise and drew him away from a right walk in relationship and fellow, fellowship with the Lord. God is allowing David to use these experiences to help us avoid those things in our own lives. And of course, when we fall prey to them to give us comfort that our sins are forgiven and they are covered through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, nestled in the midst of Psalm 32 is our text verse. And it is an exhortation of vital instruction. He is literally saying to us as God's people, don't be dumb as a horse. Don't be stubborn as a mule. Now this morning, we ought to consider how this applies to each and every one of us spiritually in our lives. You may be at the point in your spiritual life where you say, well, I don't think I've ever been dumb as a horse or stubborn as a mule. And that is proof that this morning you are dumb as a horse and stubborn as a mule, right? We're all susceptible to this, and we ought to consider how David's instructive exhortation applies spiritually in our lives. And to help us do that, I want us to consider three aspects of David's instructive exhortation about not being dumb as a horse or stubborn as a mule. Very simple ones. We see them in verse number 9. We'll discuss them at length here in our thoughts and, and time together this morning. The first aspect of David's instructive exhortation, we see the conduct of the beasts. The conduct of the beasts. Secondly, we see the comparison to brutes. And then thirdly, all of this is designed for the control of our behavior. Now we're going to talk about each of these in turn. First of all, and by the way, as we look at these, I will mention that we're going to somewhat work our way back in the verse, right? And so, in other words, when we get to the control of our behavior and how David's uh, exor uh, instructive exhortation is designed for the control of our behavior, we're going to go back to the beginning of the verse and see what he has to say, right? And so we begin by thinking about this first aspect of David's instructive exhortation, the conduct of the beasts. The conduct of the beasts. Now, watch verse number 9. Be ye not as what? The horse or as the mule. David references, and he goes on to describe the conduct of these two beasts in his, in his instructive exhortation. What do two beasts is he talking about? What two animals is he writing about? The horse and the mule. These were very well-known animals in biblical times and certainly in David's day. Now, our intent this morning is not to go into a, an, an ad nauseum description and detail of the makeup and behavior of these animals, but we only want to focus on what is applicable as it relates to David's instructive exhortation. And so... When we think about that, both of these beasts, the horse and the mule, 
they are first of all characterized by their lack of understanding. They're characterized by their lack of understanding. Notice what David writes in verse 9. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. Now, let's think about this, first of all, as it relates to dumb horses. Okay? And, and before any animal lovers that might be present or might listen on, uh, on, on uh, sermon audio, and you say, well, I'm offended at you calling a horse dumb because horses are one of the more intelligent animals. I'm not comparing animal to animal. I'm comparing animal to man. And David goes on and he does that. And, and biblically speaking, this is what writers did. Now the word dumb, okay, lest, lest you be offended by my use of the word dumb, okay? The word dumb literally means lacking intelligent or good judgment or the power of speech. You hear, you hear somebody described as deaf and dumb. Well, they can't hear and they can't talk, right? It's not just not talking about anything about their mental capacity in that sense. And so when we think about the horse being dumb, does the horse lack intelligence? It does. Does the horse lack good judgment? It does. Lest it be guided by a human uh, person. Is the horse able to speak? No, and neither can the mule. And there's only been one instance ever in history, and that's in the Bible. And You can go back and read about that. So David is explaining that horses and mules have no rational faculties like man. Cody's family, you have horses, right? I'm willing to bet that, it, hopefully this is true. <laughs> That's a little bit of a joke. Hopefully your dad, Carrie, never went up to a horse and talked about his problems with the horse and expected the horse to answer him and tell him how he could solve his problems, okay? Why? Because it's a dumb horse, okay? Yeah, you can get on the horse and it'll ride and you can train the horse to do certain things, you know, but the horse doesn't get up on Sunday morning and go put on a shirt and pants and go to church, right? They have no rational faculties like man does. And that's the point of why David is using the horse. It's a dumb horse. It has no understanding. And to prove this to you, let me use this example, okay? Consider the plight of a horse with a broken leg. What usually happens to a horse with a broken leg? You put it down. You put it out of its misery. Now let me ask you this, and of course Cody and Lauren being paramedics, you, uh, you get a call, you roll up to a house and the guy's fallen and broken his leg and you say, well, let's just bring the cops in here and then put one in the forehead and put him out of his misery. He's got a broken leg. You tell the family, Oh, I'm sorry, he's not going to make it. He's got a broken leg. No, of course not. You, you fix the broken leg, okay? You get it splinted or whatever it is that you do. You know, I remember in the military, you know, somebody got a broken leg on the battlefield. You, you treat them for shock. You make sure you take care of them until the medics can come and get them. And then you, you bind up and, 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 and take care of the broken leg. You put it in a cast, you, so forth and so on, okay? You don't do that with a horse. Why? Because the horse doesn't have the rational ability to do what is needed to heal from the broken leg. Listen to the words of Thomas Fuller, who was a Puritan English uh, 
theologian and preacher who lived in the 1600s. Listen to what he writes about this topic. Consider the causes why a broken leg is incurable in a horse and easily curable in a man. The horse is incapable of counsel to submit himself to the farrier. And therefore, in case his leg, uh, his leg be set, he flings, flounces, and flies out, unjointing it again by his misemployed metal, counting all binding to be shackles and fetters unto him, whereas a man willingly resigns himself to be ordered by the surgeon, preferring rather to be a prisoner for some days than a cripple all his life. Right? So the point being that if you fall and break your leg or whatever happens and you break your leg, you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to go to the hospital, they're going to set it, they're going to put a cast on it, and you're going to abide by what your doctor says. Why? Because you want to be healed from the wound. The horse doesn't do that. The horse sees that as a restraint and will do everything possible to get out of being restrained. That's the point of what David is saying. Don't be as a dumb horse. And secondly, don't be like the stubborn mule. We're talking about the conduct of the beasts. The conduct of the horse and the mule is characterized by their lack of understanding. They have no rational faculties like man to make decisions. The dumb horse and the stubborn mule. If there is one word that you could describe a mule by, it's stubborn, is it not? Uh, Wyatt was over at the house yesterday and I made a joke and I I said to Darlene, I said, uh, beat him like a rented mule. You know, and uh, I don't think Laura knew what that meant, but that's a there's a hockey announcer out in Pittsburgh that used to talk about when a guy would beat another guy and score a goal and say, beat him like a rented mule. You know, uh, man, a mule's stubborn, and you gotta club that thing on the head. Not literally, you know what I'm saying, but you, you gotta you gotta get that thing in line because it's gonna do its own thing, right? It's stubborn. They are known for being obstinate and stubborn and refusing to be taught or instructed by nature the mule is wild and ungoverned and unwill ungoverned and unwilling to be made obedient are we not like that in our natural condition we're dumb as a horse and stubborn as a mule and i'll tell you what i can prove that this is what david meant when he's writing here in verse number 9, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. Because notice what he writes next. And that leads us to our second thought as we're thinking about the conduct of the beast. First of all, they're characterized by lack of understanding. But secondly, they must be corrected by external restraint. They must be corrected by external restraint. The, you, you, you have a horse. Or a mule. And you go buy it, however it is, wherever it is that you buy them. You bring it back to your farm or your place. And you're putting the horse away for the night. And you say, okay, now in the morning I want you to get up at 5 a.m. And I want you to make sure that you're ready for breakfast. And you're prepared. And you get your little stall cleaned up. And uh, it, and I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to, to, to uh, <laughs> go to the bathroom and in your stall. I want you to get up and go to the horse bathroom. Okay, I want you to do all these things. And uh, and, and I expect that. Well, if you expect that out of, out of a horse or a mule, you're dumber than the horse or the mule, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. 
They're not restrained by themselves. They are only corrected and led by external restraints. And we know that because of what David writes in verse number 9. He says, Whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. What is the purpose of the bit and bridle? Well, literally in the Hebrew, if you look these words up, it refers to a halter. Both of these words refer to a halter in which a bit or a loop was passed around and under the jaw of the animal to keep it in place. And you could use that to lead it around and somewhat like a muzzle to keep it from biting. I wish when I was a kid and I got bit by a horse, that horse would have had a muzzle on it. Okay, that's a completely different story, and you know that horse, okay, or that story before, right? That's not just a horse story, it's a real horse story. Okay. But listen about listen today. I I, I looked this up as to what it, it might help us our with our understanding of a bridle and a bit. Listen to this. Uh, bridle is a headgear by which the horse or other burden bearing or pulling animal is governed, consisting of bit, headstall, and rein. The bit is a horizontal metal bar placed in the animal's mouth and held in place by the head stall, a set of straps over and around the head. Component bits of bone and antler have been recovered from bridles in use in the Bronze Age, about 3000 BC. And so these are old, we know according to scripture, these are old methods that were used to, to correct the beast, right? To lead it around, to get it to do what it would not do on its own, right? So the sense of what, what David is writing here, he says, be, not, be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. The sense is that the horse and the mule could not be reasoned with. They could, you could not talk to them and get them to do what you want them to do just by talking to them. So their conduct required them to be molded by external restraints by which they would be brought into subjection. And that's the point of what David is writing. And we're going to get, get to that in our second thought. Notice he says in the last part of verse number 9, lest they come near unto thee. Now there's some disagreement as to what that means. Does it mean lest they, lest they attack you and, 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 and uh, try to do harm to you so that you're in some danger? Or does it refer to their disobedience because they won't do what you tell them to do? In either case, they must be held in with bit and bridle. This is not something that only David wrote about. In the New Testament, in the book of James, James in talking about governing our, our actions and specifically our speech. James wrote in James chapter 3, verse number 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths. Why? that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. In other words, you can lead them around by the bit that is in the mouth. And so, what is David saying? How does this apply to us today? Well, David is saying that we're not to be dumb as horses and, 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 and uh, stubborn as a mule. And he starts out by referring to and instructing us on the conduct of these beasts the horse and the mule. And then secondly, that leads us to the second aspect of David's instructive exhortation, where we see the comparison to brutes. In other words, the comparison of the horse and the mule 
to brutes. What is a brute? A brute is very simply a brutal and sensitive or crude person. You know what a brute is? Hold on to your seats. A brute is a man in his natural condition. Apart from the movements of the Spirit of God. In other words, every person that's on this earth, if they haven't been saved by the grace of God, spiritually speaking, they're a brute. They're a brute. And David is comparing them. He's comparing brutes to the beasts. This is his purpose in this exhorting instruction, is to compare these two beasts, the horse and the mule, with the natural man. Now, theologically... Theologically, you don't have to answer this, okay? In fact, don't. But what do we refer to this doctrine as? Man is a brute. It's the depravity of man. That's the depravity of man. C.D. Cole, Brother C.D. Cole wrote in reference to the depravity of man. He wrote on the doctrines of the Bible and he wrote, Depravity means the moral corruption of human nature. It refers to the state of sinfulness natural to the unregenerate or the unsaved person. And so David is writing and he's saying that as saved people who have had their transgressions forgiven, their sins covered, this is what he writes about earlier in Psalm 32, we're not supposed to be like these beasts, the horse and the mule, which have no understanding. They're governed by their own natural desires. They do what they want. They are not restrained unless there are some external restraints placed upon them to lead them around and restrain them. That's what he's saying. So when we think about the comparison to brutes, we must first of all understand, as David is making this comparison, that man naturally lacks spiritual understanding. We must grasp that. Man naturally lacks spiritual understanding. I get concerned. When I talk to somebody and, and, and I give my testimony, hey, I was a lost church member and I was a lost church member for five years. Then the Lord uh, exiled me to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and uh, nothing against Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's just the place that the Lord chose to exile me to. There could be worse places, right? And, and, and he saved me by his grace, okay? Uh, and then I hear somebody say, well, you know, I've always been a Christian. I've always been saved. I'm concerned. Because you haven't always been saved. You haven't always been a Christian. If you don't understand that there's a time in your life where you were only like the horse and the mule as a beast, something's wrong. Something is amiss. David is saying that the horse and the mule, they're unrestrained. They have no mental capacity to reason out. And this is how the natural man is. That's the depravity of man. Man naturally lacks spiritual understanding as it relates to his intellect. David is comparing man to the beast, the horse and the mule, which have no understanding. They have no rational ability to reason. They, can't, they don't have an intellect that they can use. You're faced with a problem. You look at the, hopefully, right, in a perfect world, you look at the solutions and you say, well, using my intelligence and my reasoning this is the proper course of action okay right that's it's problem solving an animal can't do that they don't have that rational ability to do that okay 
And what I'm saying that is when it comes to spiritual matters, man's intellect is depraved. His understanding is depraved. Notice, and I'm going to read some verses to you rather quickly this this morning to get through the message in a proper time. And so you could jot these references down if you can turn there quick enough that's fine but i want to read these to you that we see where we see that man naturally lacks spiritual understanding he's compared to brute uh the horse and the mule are compared to brutes in this matter and and we see that in his intellect right jeremiah chapter 4 verse 22 jeremiah 4 verse 22 for my people is foolish they have not known me they are sottish children and they have none understanding They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Jeremiah is comparing God's people Israel and Judah to the beast. And then we know this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14 where Paul writes, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you got to have God's Spirit within you to understand God's Word. Man is depraved in his intellect. He lacks spiritual understanding. He is depraved in his heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9, the Bible reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Man is depraved not only in his intellect and in his heart, But in his mind, he lacks understanding. Listen to this. In Psalm 14, verse number 2, and verse number 3. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that, now listen, did understand and seek God. Verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And so, I love it when it, you, know, you hear these people talk about the doctrine of election. And they say, well, what doc- the doctrine of election is that God looked down and saw who was going to trust in Him, and then He chose them. Well, this is refuted by Psalm 14, verse number 2, where the, Lord, the Bible says the Lord looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. And are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then Psalm 92, verse number 6, listen to the wording. A brutish man. What, what is the second aspect of David's instructive exhortation? The comparison to brutes. The comparison of the horse and the mule to brutes. The, the brutal, in, uh, insensitive, and crude person the depraved man in his natural condition. That's the brutish man. In Psalm 92, verse 6, A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. And the this that the psalmist is writing about in verse number 6 is what went before verse 6, and it's talking about the order of creation. That God's power created man. The man in his natural heart says, Well, there is no God. Well, he knows there's a God, but in his mind he says there's no God because that means he's not accountable to God. Therefore, he's like the beast that has no understanding. He is depraved. He naturally lacks spiritual understanding. That's what the horse and the mule lack. Is that not right? In Psalm uh, 32, verse 9, David writes, Be not ye as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. And then what was the second part when we talked about the conduct of the beast? Well, they do what they want. They don't submit. 
They have no rational ability to think things through. They just do whatever they want to do. And that, in that we see that the brute, the natural man, is also like the beast because man is naturally averse to submitting to God and God's law. Man is naturally averse to submitting to God and God's law. His will is depraved. So now we've talked about his intellect, his heart, his mind, his will. That makes up man. All of man is depraved. In Psalm 10 and verse number 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Man, I'll tell you what. You want to talk about the brutish nature of man and how man is compared to a beast. Come and spend a day with me. Come and look at some of the crime scene photos. Come and read some of the reports. Think about what happens on a daily basis in East St. Louis. It's gotten to the point where there are so many murders that I can't keep them straight, and neither can the special agents. I was talking to, I had the grand jury on Friday. I'm talking to uh, special agents testifying, and I say, hey, what about this? And he's like, man, I can't. Is that this murder or is that that one? I mean... You talk about man, what man does to his fellow man and the brutality that is displayed. And you think about the unrestraint of the natural man. The natural man does whatever he wants. Natural man is, 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 sees a woman that he wants and he lusts after her. And it doesn't matter whether he's married or not. The natural man acts on those lusts. He's unrestrained. He does whatever pleases him. He doesn't think about the ramifications of what he did. By the way, we can say that for a woman as well, right? They don't think about the ramifications and all the problems that it's going to bring. And it might well end up in their death or someone else's death. Okay, That's how serious these issues are. But they're like the, they're like the beast. They're unrestrained. They don't think about that. They do whatever they want to do. Man is naturally averse to submitting to God and God's law. His will is depraved. And the man has a hostility and an ill will towards God. Just like the, the, the horse that must be broken and the mule that must be broken has a natural hostility to the individual that's trying to break them, so does man have a natural hostility towards God. In Romans 8 verse 7 the Bible reads, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And then man is, has shows an ingratitude towards God. An ingratitude. He does not thank God or glorify God as he should. Listen to this in Romans 1 verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And so man in his natural condition, is a brute. And David is comparing the natural man to these two beasts, the horse and the mule. Now, this leads us, and it's a natural transition and segue to the third aspect of David's instructive exhortation, and that deals with the fact that these thoughts should control our behavior. What does David write in verse number 9? He says, Be ye not 
as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouths must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. David sets all of this up by saying, we're not supposed to be like them. We're not supposed to be like the horse and the mule. We're not supposed to be as the brute, the natural man. As God's children, we should heed God's words, and God's words should control our behavior. We are not as the horse and mule. We have understanding. We've been born again by the grace of God. Listen, when God saves somebody... He imparts unto them that new nature. That's what regeneration is, isn't it? It's a regening, if you will. Our genes, spiritually speaking, as a natural man are one way, but our genes as a saved person are another. Now we have that natural man that does dwell with, or that spiritual man, that new man that does dwell within us, and we are able to combat and by the grace of God overcome the natural man. Think about your own life. Think about who you were and what you did before the Lord saved you. Are you the same person? If you're the same person, something's wrong. I don't mean that you have to be perfect. I don't mean that you're not going to have struggles. We are. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But the point is that we're not the same person. Before, you look forward to Friday nights, so you go out and get wasted and do whatever it is your fleshly desires wanted to do. And, and, and why? Because you were as the horse and the mule. You're not that way anymore. Now you read the Word of God. And now, whereas before you were as the natural man who could not understand or comprehend the Word of God, now you read the Word of God and you're like, oh, it makes sense. I've told you folks this story a million times. I'm sorry to be repetitive, but I come home Friday night wasted. And I don't say that in a bragging way. I say it in a shameful way. I come home wasted. Broke my dear mom's heart. She'd set me down at the kitchen table and pull out the Bible and make me read the Bible. I thought it was idiocy. It made no sense to me. I wasn't even in my right mind. I couldn't understand it. I didn't want to understand it. Because I was lost. But when God saved me, I wanted to understand the Bible. I love that song. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I don't serve Him like I should. I want to be a pure Christian. I'm not as pure as I should be. But I want to be. And I want to follow the, the precepts of the Word of God. I'm not like I was. I haven't been to a, uh, a high school reunion. I don't want to go. I'm not the same person. They won't understand me. I'm not that same person. I don't do what I used to do. I'm not perfect. I struggle with sin. But I'm not what I was. I was as the beast of the field. The horse and the mule that did whatever he wanted to do and nobody was going to tell him what he could do. That was me. Now, was that you? Have you been saved by the grace of God? You say, well, I was morally a good person. Doesn't matter. We're talking about spiritual, not moral. The words that David pens in this instructive exhortation are designed for the control of our behavior. Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. So therefore, we conclude that first of all, we ought to receive and apply instruction and understanding. We ought to receive instruction and apply understanding. The horse and the mule can't do that. 
They kick against it. They don't want to be restrained. We ought to receive and apply understanding and instruction. We ought to obtain it by pursuit. We ought to be seeking it out. And I'll read these verses to you quickly. Proverbs 1 verse 5. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. The beast can't do that. Proverbs 4 verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 8 verse 5, O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools be ye of an understanding heart. We're not supposed to be like the horse and the mule which have no understanding. We read the word of God. And you have the mind of Christ, which is the Word of God, aided by the Holy Spirit, which lives within, lives within us. And you know what? You'll have understanding. You'll look at the events in this life and you'll say, I, I, I understand that. I, I understand. I see what God is doing. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be the case, but we'll be people of understanding. So, so these words that David pens in this instructive exhortation are to help control our behavior. We are, first of all, to receive and apply understanding. Secondly, we are not to be stubborn. Well, I'm thankful that we never had any stubborn children. <laughs> and, I, and I don't refer to any particular child, okay? It, you know, Cody and Lauren are thankful they, they don't have stubborn children. Very stubborn child. I mean, who's ever had a stubborn child, man? They're just so cute and cuddly. I was commenting to, to Darlene this morning. We were talking and Wyatt was over yesterday. And I said, boy, he is so cute and rotten. I was downstairs working out. And he, you know, I said, hey, come down with me. And I was, uh, I was doing my core work uh, while I was, had the football game on. And so I'm on my back. You know, and he'd, he'd run over and he'd look at me and smile and then he'd smack me. <laughs> and I'd smack him back. You know, he's rotten. He's cute. Don't worry, Steve, I didn't hurt him. He hurt me, but I didn't hurt him. You know, He's stubborn. He's getting into the TV stand. And Darlene's got all of her little trinkets in there, you know, her little you know, glass paperweights and stuff that they're not designed for a two-year-old to play with. But he's two. He doesn't know any better. And so he's stubborn. And he'd go over and open it up. And I'd say no. And then he'd open it again. Because he's stubborn. Right? He is stubborn. He's a kid. He's two years old. We don't expect him to be a model of obedience. He has to be trained. Right? Well, guess what? Just like the horse and the mule are stubborn. We're stubborn apart from the leadership and guidance of the Lord. Don't be stubborn. Yield and submit to the guidance and direction of God in His Word and in His will. And you know as well as I do that as people of God, sometimes we can be downright stubborn. Nope. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. You can preach it all day, preacher, and I'm not going to listen. Samuel Horsley, uh, who lived in the 1700s on into the 1800s, wrote this in reference to the subject of being stubborn like the horse and the mule. He wrote, The admonition given by the psalmist to his companions is to submit to the instruction and guidance graciously promised from heaven and not to resemble in a refractory disposition those ill-conditioned colts which are not to be uh, governed by a single bridle or a simple bridle. But unless their jaws are confined by a muzzle, will attack the rider as he attempts to mount 
or the groom as he leads them to the pasture and to the stable. That's what the that's what the untrained beast does. That's why you put the bit and the bridle in the mouth, right? We're not supposed to be like that. We're not supposed to be stubborn. We're supposed to submit ourselves to God. You have trouble in your spiritual walk, in your battle with sin, self, uh, and and Satan. Here's a here's a instructed uh, instructive exhortation on how to do away with it. Follow the Word of God. Listen to this in in James four verses seven and eight. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And what James is saying is that sometimes we as people of God can be like the horse and the mule. We're double-minded. How do we solve it? Submit to God. One commentator in describing this used the word tractable. I'm going to venture to say that none of us here this morning in a conversation have ever used the the word tractable. Okay, here's what the word tractable means. Tractable, tractable. Here's what it means: easily worked, easily shaped, or otherwise handled. Malleable, malleable. And that's the right word. That's the right word to use. We're not supposed to be stubborn. We're supposed to be as clay in the hand of the potter. God is the potter. And in Romans 9, verse 21, Paul asks this question, Hath not the potter power over the clay? And the answer is obviously yes. And so we should not be stubborn. We should be moldable and malleable in the hands of God. We're talking about uh, David's instructive exhortation. What's the entire purpose of what he writes about the conduct of the beast and the comparison to the brutes? He's, it, it, he's designed it for this purpose that it might help us control our behavior. That we not be like them. And lastly, when we think about the control of our behavior, we thought about receiving and applying and understanding. And secondly, not to be stubborn. But thirdly, this instruction that David gives prevents us from having to be restrained by God's correction. Man, I'll tell you what. I don't want to be chastened by God. Now, chastening is a sign of sonship, is it not? Of, of, of you know, paternity, if you will. God chastens whom He loves. And yet, that chastening is not joyous when it's happening. I don't want to be chastened by God. And yet, sometimes, because we are as the horse and the mule, and we will not submit, and we're going to do whatever we want to do because we lack spiritual understanding, you know what God need, has to do? He's got to put the bit and the bridle in to restrain us. To lead us where we should be instead of where we want to go based upon our natural fleshly desires. We're not to be characterized by a lack of self-control. I want you to think just for a moment about your, your life. Is there any area of your life that is characterized by a lack of self-control? Because one of the fruits of the fruit of the spirit is to be temperate. We're to be we're to be in self control, and that you know, and, and that can that can manif- a lack of self control can manifest itself in multiple and various areas of our lives. Are you are you lacking self control? Because if so, you're like the you're like the horse and the mule. I'm like the horse and the mule. We must understand that that's not who we are. That's who we used to be. We ought to heed the words of Job. 
the old saint of God by the name of Job. In Job 28, verse 28, he's answering and having this conversation with his friends that have accused him of, of sinning, and that's why God has brought these trials and tribulations upon him as judgment. Job is answering that, and in, in, in the midst of one of Job's answers and exchanges in Job 28, verse 28, and uh, Job is describing this, and, and, he, and he writes in verse uh, 28, verse 28, And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. That's the crux of the matter, is it not? What did, what did Solomon write in the book of Ecclesiastes? Our purpose in life is to serve God and fulfill His Word and bring honor and glory unto the Lord. That's why He saved us. Does God get glory from the beasts of the field? Of course He does. But we're not as the beasts of the field. What did God... I'll leave you with this. What did, what did God do to Nebuchadnezzar? Remember Nebuchadnezzar is lifted up with pride and, oh, my hand has gotten me all of this kingdom. Babylon and you're going to fall down and worship me because I'm Nebuchadnezzar and what did God do God took his understanding and he drove him out into a field where Nebuchadnezzar for a period had lost his mind he was mad like the beasts of the field and there's a very very descriptive narration of that in the book of Daniel chapter number 4 Daniel chapter number 5 Go read read the, ver the chapters prior to get the context. But he's literally driven out as the beasts of the field. Having no understanding. And then when God brought him back to his right mind and his right frame of reference and, his, and he was a rational being again, what did he do? He gave honor to God. He said, "God, I'm going to let you know, God rules in the kingdom of men. And God rules in the affairs here on this earth. Now, if that be true, and God save you by His grace, He sent His Son, Christ, to die for you. You think He's interested in your daily life? He is. And we ought to honor and glorify Him. We ought not to be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which have to be brought into compliance by the bit and the bridle. Well, this morning, we've spent our time focusing on this topic being dumb as a horse or stubborn as a mule we looked at three aspects of David's instructive exhortation the conduct of the beast the comparison to the brutes and how all of that is designed to help control our behavior may God give us grace may God give us the ability to honor him that we as his people be not dumb as a horse or stubborn as a mule